You're listening to Aldrin Sampier on the Station of the Year. It's 17 minutes now before 6 o'clock. We're in conversation next with uh, colleague Ilem Nisi, who's the spokesperson for the Foundation for Human Rights. As South Africa commemorates Human Rights Month, the Foundation for Human Rights has released a report looking into socioeconomic disparities in the country over the past eight years. The report, titled Socioeconomic Justice for All, is a way to check the state of human rights in South Africa against the backdrop of the country's socioeconomic context. The survey was done with South Africans in different parts of the country. Among other things, the report reveals that 15% of South African adults could be termed extremely poor. It also shows that 16% of black African people are often experiencing deprivation of basic necessities compared to 2% of Indian or Asian and white people. What else did the report find? We now joined uh, in studio, what I nearly said online because normally do interviews over the phone. Um, but joining me in studio is colleague Ilem Nisi, who is the spokesperson for the Foundation of Human Rights. Colleague Ile, good afternoon and thank you so much for making time for us. So what are some of the indicators that you were looking into as uh, you compiled this report? Good evening, uh, Aldrin, and good evening to the rest of the listeners. Uh, Thank you for having us here today. So some of the key things that we were looking at were the the key components being uh, access to uh, justice and access to uh, and really just uh, the transformation of the socio-economic justice sector. So if you look at it right now, there's uh, a few disparities where social, economic, and cultural rights are concerned, and civil and political rights are concerned. So uh, child rights violation, for example, housing, access to sanitation, access to basic services, those are some of the key things that we're looking at in terms of how far we have transitioned as a country mm. in terms of access to those core basic services that the constitution upholds and says uh, every citizen of the country has access to, core, to, to the core of these things, yeah. literally. So we did extensive work in all nine provinces, partnering with the European Union, just to find out as to where we are, what sort of benchmarks are there, what gaps are, are there and what sort of interventions are needed for us to, to move the conversation mm-hmm. forward and to see uh, the succession uh, of the constitution, the narrative of it being realized by all South Africans. Actually, now that you speak about that, about the, about the constitution, interesting some of the results coming out is that the survey found that 51% of the respondents had heard of the constitution or the Bill of Rights. And I find it quite interesting also that um, the majority of the people who have never heard about the Constitution happen to be black people. And I wonder whether there is any correlation between the knowledge of the Constitution, the knowledge of their own personal rights, and how those rights uh, tend to be trampled upon. So, uh, beautiful question, by the way. Uh, Over and above everything else, with uh, where the knowledge is concerned, if you, draw, if you drill it down to the core statistics and as to how they were unpacked when they were mm. doing the surveys, women are as far as more disadvantaged in terms of knowing more about the constitution uh, more than the men. So I think uh, from where we're sitting at, what we are realizing is the fact that translation is also part and parcel of the key things that we need to be looking at in terms of how we go and unpack the constitution. So what we have embarked on as a, as a foundation is a key series of programs 
that uh, we have taken to, to communities uh, in partnerships with different stakeholders, including the Department of Basic Education. We've got a, a, a program called Keep It Constitutional, mm-hmm. where we look at uh, the vulnerable groups that were used as part of the segmentation or the data collection and the data analysis for compiling the seizure report. Keep It Constitutional looks at uh, access to human rights and, and, and socioeconomic justice for people who are uh, disadvantaged, such as the migrants, mm-hmm. the farm workers, the women, the LGBTQAI plus community, and, and, and. So it's all of those sort of things and being able to translate the constitution to make it make sense at a level at which a person who's sitting somewhere in Uno or in Moto in KZN understands what he, there is a constitution that upholds their rights and protects them at that level. Yeah. So that's where the translation is lacking. Then another interesting question is around the level of trust that the respondents have in their own family members and relatives. I find it very interesting. Why that, why that question? So... The level of trust, um, so that question is really twofold if you ask me. So there's the level of trust from an organizational perspective. So I'm part of the queer community, mm-hmm. right? So if I come in and I say I'm doing a study and a baseline assessment on this and just to see where constitutionalism and its impact uh, on you on a daily basis are and what they are and what they look like. So there is a, a level of trust. But within the spaces of the nucleus of the family, It's not a very topical issue. Human rights is not sexy. It's not something that is really, really spoken about on a daily basis. And we need to start building the narrative and the conversation around it to make it a conversation that happens on a day-to-day basis where families are able to unpack the conversation on a day-to-day basis where we understand the principles of the Constitution, the principles of Mm. the Bill of Rights, and the narratives of what underpins uh, a democratic transition uh, for all citizens of the country, so mm. to speak. Mm-hmm. And then there is um, looking at, which is one of, I, th- I think, f- currently for the country, one of the biggest and m- probably most controversial issues amongst um, human beings, and that is um, foreign nationals. And earlier on, we were speaking about the report that has been released by the um, by the health ombuds, and one of the findings is that around 40% of the patients at the Rahima Musa Mother and Child Hospital were were foreign nationals. But what was the response from the respondents around their relationship and their understanding of um, foreign nationals and their rights as well? So at at, at community-based level, there's still a bit of discomfort where that conversation is concerned. Mm. There's There's still a bit of mistrust where that conversation is concerned around foreign nationals. You know, um, we, we spoke about globalization and all of those things and all of those trends taking place. But when they really do impact us at community level, they're heartfelt because now there's an in exchange of skills and, and, and that sort of a thing. So if you really, really start unpacking that conversation, some of the responses we were getting from the respondents were the typical, they're here to take our jobs, they're here to, to dampen their public health system, and, and, and. But if you look at it holistically from a global perspective, not just a South African perspective, the basic principles and the basic human rights to life, the basic principles of being able to access healthcare on a day-to-day basis, whether foreign national or mm. not, it still stands. It's still stipulated. I mean, at the highest level of offices. So mm. those are some of the key. Is things that disparity around to, uh, around race and class and gender there as well? 
So you would say there is disparity mostly around class and mm -hmm. gender. From a racial perspective, uh, yes, it does exist. Because, I mean, by, 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 no, by, by means of no excuse, the, 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 the black people are still more disadvantaged in terms of being able to access some core of these basic sanitation services and other human rights. If, if you look at, at the health sector, for example, a person sitting somewhere in rural KZN does not have the facilities that mm. a, a white man has who's sitting somewhere in Basonia or in Santon. Yeah. So it's also that. So those disparities are felt on an everyday level and an everyday basis. Gender-wise, women are still at the backlog and we're still trying to bring that back, uh, that, that, that conversation up to say it is a form of gender-based violence, the fact that women don't have access to such services at a core and basic level. And it's a conversation that we are having with a, a lot of our community-based organizations, which are spread throughout the nine provinces. And they're doing phenomenal work in terms of GBV and doing GBV work in partnership with SAPS, the NPA, and conducting surveys mm -hmm. to find out what the impact is at grassroots level where the gender disparities are concerned. When you ask them about electricity. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> When you ask them about electricity, so some strides at least have been made. 92% of uh, your respondents actually live in households that, um, that have electricity. Yeah. But what, what did they say to you about the availability of that electricity? So availability of electricity, really, 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 and verbatim is it's a very, very tricky situation for them because it's available some days. You know, you find that in some communities they have electricity only three or, or four times a week. Mm. And it's in intervals. So they really have to plan and structure their lives around that. So it's a, it's a big debate. It's a big issue for, for those economies that we want to see growing in rural communities. It's a huge issue for farming communities that are based in all of those farming provinces. You know, because it impacts, you know, uh, the economy of scale, it impacts the output, it impacts the labor force. So there is that conversation. But if I were to speak on the electricity yep. component, I would not even be the technical expert to speak on that. But I would tell you that South Africans are angry. But did it give any credence to one of um, the the research that was done by, um, by UJ, where they speak about energy racism? Um, where um, the electricity would be gone for longer periods of time in areas where you find black people, where you find poor people compared to urban areas. Yes. So if you look at it and from a, a responded perspective, that is what lack of access to social justice and mm. constitutionalism really is. And that is what the Seja report unpacks. So it does have that race credence that that UJ report speaks about. And if we also look at it from a bigger and broader perspective, some people don't have the means to even go as far as procuring solar energy for themselves because, yeah. you know, it's a bit expensive. It's a bit pricey from a maintenance component and, and, and. So if you look at it, it, it it's that. There's that uh, it does speak to that narrative at that level. <laughs> Hence, we're bringing in strategic interventions at a programmatic level, at a community-based wise, to say we are seeing the disparities and this is... These are some of the solutions. We're not bringing the solutions to you, but let's craft the solutions yeah. together. Thank you so much for your time. Kolegi Lemnisi is the spokesperson for the Foundation of Human Rights.